What's going on, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan. I'm the host of the Entrepreneurism Podcast. I'm here with Mark Randolph. He is the first CEO and co-founder of Netflix, pretty household name, but also the author of That Will Never Work, which is a true testament to the beginnings of Netflix. Mark, how's it going? Going pretty well, thanks. Thanks for letting me join you. Yeah, thank you for coming on. So obviously people know your name, people know Netflix, um, but the purpose of this episode is to really talk about the struggles that happened you know, in the beginning of Netflix, right? It, it doesn't start where it is today. Before we dive into that story, I always ask this first question. What's the dumbest thing you've ever spent money on? Uh, well, that's <laughs> a good one. Uh, I mean, I've spent you, uh, lots and lots, I've bought lots and lots of things which ended up being a waste of money. But, you know, I don't look at it that way. The, there's very few things where you know in advance it's going to be a waste of money. It's always right. retrospectively. And... I've, it's kind of how I approach a lot of things in life is I don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out what's going what's to happen in the future um, because I realize I'm really bad at it. And if I only do things that I know what the result's going to be, um, then I've really narrowed myself down. And right. So I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. You know, I, I, have, I have three kids. Uh, they're, they're adults now. But, you know, they were kids for a long, long time. And you really never know what's going to stick in terms of entertaining kids. So at our house, um, I've tried a bunch of stuff. I mean, I built a a, a big skateboard half pipe. We put in a zip line. We (laughs) built a batting cage. We built, you know, a bocce court. A bunch of things like that to try and do fun things that the kids might like. Right. Now, there's some of them that have been used every, almost every minute from when they were put in until now. So in retrospect, great spending, great use of money. <laughs> but other ones, you spend all the money and the time, and I'll tell you right now, it was the batting cage. You buy the <laughs> net, you buy the machine, you buy the balls, you buy the bats, you buy all that crap. And it gets used for two weekends and then it sits. Done. So it's easy for me to say now, that was a huge waste of money. Right. But I have no regrets. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's all an experience. And that's something I'm definitely learning as well. I have a child uh, that we're welcoming in late January next year, my first one. So congratulations. Um, I'm taking all the advice I can get. And I know more than ever nowadays, you got to entertain them somehow. So yeah. yeah. Well, my advice used to, my, my advice would have been go to movies, go out yeah. to dinner, yeah. do all the stuff that you're not going to be able to do for another six years. Exactly. exactly. Uh, but I'm not sure in COVID that, uh, that, that advice works as well anymore. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit different, man. Cause we're in Tennessee and Tennessee doesn't seem to have the same restrictions that California has. Right. I mean, gyms have been open here for the, for three months. Everything's open. You got to wear a mask of course. But, um, but I mean, I could talk about that all day, but let's yeah. dive into your story. Right. So Netflix is obviously a household name. I'm assuming millions of Americans use Netflix. How did that idea come about? Because, you know, you see it on Instagram all the time, how Blockbuster was offered to buy Netflix and they turned them down. And now in retrospectively, they should have done it. Right. But uh, at the time it it didn't seem like it was a good idea. So kind of walk me through the birth of Netflix and, and what brought you to be the entrepreneur you are today. Well, those are long questions, and, and the real, you know, really think where the idea came from is, is a long story. And, and in some ways, that's why I wrote you know, the book. It's why I wrote That Will Never Work, right. is to try and tell people 
this kind of untold story of how Netflix came to be, where the idea came from and what had happened. And, but it's like any idea. Oh, and one more thing. It's called That Will Never Work because when I pitched the idea to everybody, that was the reaction. That'll never work. I mean, including my wife, you know, my, really? also my, my early employees, my investors, my friends. But the funny thing is the idea as originally envisioned didn't work. It was a terrible idea. Uh, and that is the nature of entrepreneurship. Every idea is a bad idea. But you have to start. You got to try something and do something or make something because that's the only way to figure out if your idea is a good one or not. Right. So in Netflix's case, you know, the genesis in some ways was the fact that uh, the company that I was working for was acquired and they didn't need a, uh, a head of marketing. Um, and so uh, all of a sudden I, was, when I, needed, I got acquired and I was being pushed up to a bigger company. Right. And that company was being run by a guy named Reed Hastings. And then six months later, that got acquired. And that's when they didn't need a head of marketing, nor did they need a CEO because they already had one. So right. both Reed and I were out of a job. And that's when we decided, okay, what's next? And all we needed was an idea. And it began this long, multi-month process of pitching ideas to each other. We both lived in the same town and we had this 45 minute commute back and forth to work every day. And in the car, that's what we would do. Uh, I'd throw ideas at Reed, he would bat them down. If they had any promise, I'd spend the day in my office, you know, figuring out what was good or bad about it. And one of the ideas was a video rental by mail. But it was a bad idea because at the time, video rental was on VHS cassettes. Right. Uh, and so back to the drawing board. But then the breakthrough was about a month and a half later when they announced a new technology called the DVD. And we realized it was thin and light. And we actually might be able to use the mail rather than having to use UPS or FedEx or DHL. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, it's, we already used DHL or FedEx, we could use the mail. And then we did the classic startup thing, which is rather than going and doing a pitch deck or going and writing a business plan, we just turned the car around mid-commute and drove back down to Santa Cruz where we lived. And we couldn't find a used DVD. There weren't any. So we decided a used CD might work. Bought a CD, bought a little envelope put it in the envelope, we mailed it to Reed's house in Santa Cruz, and it got there in less than 24 hours for the price of a stamp. Um, and if anything, that was the inciting moment for that idea when we realized, wow, this actually just might work. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs resonate with that because uh, they, we have ideas, right? And I think nowadays more than ever, entrepreneurism is very much real. People are always trying to come up with the next new thing. You've got people like Elon Musk inserting brain chips into humans, right? It's, <laughs> it's crazy. But so you have this idea and the DVD ships. What's next, right? Did a light bulb go off in your head like, wow, this could work. This could be a real thing. Well, at the time, when the disc arrived the next day. It was unbroken. We did it for the price of a first-class stamp. So, wow, this is awesome. But don't forget, this is back in 1997. So or at this point, yeah, 1997, and at this point, doing a website 
And doing a business was not as easy as it is now. I mean, right. now if you wanted to do an e-commerce website, you have it going in 20 minutes. Then if you wanted to do an e-commerce website, you had to write the code for the website. Right. If you wanted to set it up to connect to the internet, you had to buy the servers, you had to install them in a rack in your office, you had to configure them. If you wanted to take payments, you had to build your own payment portals to the banks. You couldn't use Stripe or PayPal. Uh, if you wanted security, if you wanted analytics. So to get started took us six months, took us a million dollars just to get from the point we decided to go ahead to when we finally launched. So then we launch, really exciting. This is incredible. We built this website. We have a copy of every DVD available, which was about 900 different titles. Right. Um, we have envelopes to mail them in and boom, off we go. And crickets, you know, uh, we couldn't get anyone to rent from us. And people who did rent from us once wouldn't rent from us again. And at, they, as they say, there comes the trough of disappointment where all of a sudden you go from this really exciting moment where you've built your site and you've launched and then you realize, whoa, this is not working. And it took us a year and a half a year and a half of one experiment after another, trying to find some model to get DVD rental by mail to work. I mean, a lot of people don't even realize it took us 10 years just to get to streaming. Right. So we had to figure out first this, how to do DVDs um, before we could even, you had to walk before you could run. At that point, we basically couldn't even crawl. Yeah, and I, and I think that's really interesting. And I think this is a moment that a lot of, people should really tune into is people nowadays, I believe if they would have hit a, a roadblock like that, they probably would have quit because they're thinking I'm not spending all this money and time on something that probably won't work. Right? So what drove you to keep going? Was it just a belief in the idea? Did you have nothing else to do? No other ideas that were this good. <laughs> you know, it's like, what, what was the driving factor behind the keep pushing? Because just like you said, it took 10 years to, to start streaming. That's a long time. Yeah, it is a long time. And the thing is, a lot of this depends upon what your objective is. And if you say my objective is I want to make a lot of money or my objective is to go public or, yeah, you're going to get very discouraged because that takes a long time and it's extremely unlikely that either of those things are going to happen. So if you're judging your progress based on how close you are to that, you're in trouble. Right. But that was never my motivation. I've always been an entrepreneur, not because I have some outcome I expect. I love the process. I love the puzzle solving. I love coming into work and getting to sit around the table with these really smart people, figuring something out that no one has figured out before. And ironically, the longer it takes, the more interesting it is. And listen, if all these tests I was doing had all been failures, Yes, that would have been a very, very different story. But they're not complete failures. Everything you do has some glimmer of hope, something that helps you understand your audience a little bit better, that gets you a little closer to cracking the code. And it's the excitement of launching that next test and then seeing what the results are that keeps right. you going. I mean, don't get me wrong. Of course, there's challenges and struggles. You're worrying about raising money. You've got to hire the right people. You have to keep your partnerships together. So... It's not all easy, but the motivating force is not, I have to succeed. Right. It's more, 
this is so interesting and I'm lucky I have the chance to keep doing this. Right. How important for all startup founders is to have patience, right? Because I think, especially nowadays, right? People want their goals now. And I believe, like you said, that's why they get discouraged. They want to go public. They want to be a millionaire, billionaire, whatever. And then six months down the road, they're wondering why has nothing happened yet? Because there's no patience. It's funny. I had to think for a minute when you use that word because I would never advise someone to be patient. Okay. But, but not that you don't, that you shouldn't be patient. Right. But I'm, that's not the key thing. I mean, the key thing was what you just touched on. And what I also was mentioning is that now, now back when I started, no such thing as being an entrepreneur. I mean, certainly there were entrepreneurs, but no one talked about it like that. It wasn't a career. There weren't courses. You couldn't to major in it. Right. Never. Um, but now it, you're right. It's become this glorified thing. And unfortunately, the way it's glorified is in a fairly artificial way. You, you, you see the famous entrepreneurs, you know, the Elon Musk's or the Steve Jobs or Jeff Bezos. Right. They are one in four and a half billion. It's <laughs> unbelievably rare to have that kind of success. And they see Shark Tank and how fun that looks to pitch. And they see, they watch the Social Network movie. And it looks like all the parties and, but that's not what an entrepreneur um, really does. So if someone graduates from school and says, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I'm going to come to California or whatever and do it. And they want to do it for those reasons, they will be disappointed. Right. You're coming to get rich, you're not going to get rich. It's like saying, I want to be an actor or an actress because I want to be famous. Exactly. That's not a, it's not a reason to be an actor or an actress because you're not going to be famous. Or yeah. it's extremely unlikely. But if you say, I love creating characters, I love being on the stage and feeling that connection to people, that's the reason to be an actor because you can get that community theater. Exactly. You don't need to be a TV star. And the same thing with entrepreneurship. If you're doing it for the right reasons, you're not disappointed. One more segue in this. This is important. You know, uh, I do a lot of work with uh, university students and my counseling to people who want to be an entrepreneur for a living, do it professionally is like anything, do an internship, come out and see what really happens. But if right. you want to be a startup guy, do not do an internship at Google or Facebook because those are not startups. Those are big corporations. You know, find a small company with eight, 10 people where you can sit and you're watching what this founder does every day. Right. And, and, and you watch and, and then see what the founder gives you to do every day. <laughs> and if you find that interesting, then you're in the right place. Yeah. But you'll yeah. see they're very disciplined. They're doing the same thing over and over and over again. Right. They're getting a little way down a path of the test. It fails. They're onto something else. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's not a glamorous, glamorous thing. And I think that's interesting you brought that up because uh, just like you said, it's over glorified on social media, especially and the struggles, right? That's what I mentioned before we started recording, you know, the late nights, the early mornings, the, the hearing no, right? Maybe even you're thinking, you know, they said that will never work. Maybe you thought, well, maybe they're right. You know, you get to a point where it's like, I don't know how to get around this. I'm going to, you know, take a U-turn or something like that. So Let's, let's hear some examples of when you were starting this, right? I mean, Netflix is obviously very successful now, but 20 years ago, you probably couldn't even imagine what it is today. 
And when they oh, took that never in a million over, years, exactly. it's, it's um, unbelievably, unbelievably way, way beyond what, what anyone imagined, not just right. me, but you know, anybody could have imagined that Netflix would become what it is. But I never, that's not what the dream was. Right. Exactly. I mean, it certainly wasn't, Oh boy, let's, our goal is to create a 200 million subscriber, 250 billion market cap, every country make our own. Nah, that would, they would have had me committed. Right. You know, the goals I used to tell people in these company meetings at the beginning were, we want to be as big as one of the top 10 video chains. We want to have the revenue equivalent to a single blockbuster store at the end of the first year. Right. There's 9, 000, there was 9,000 blockbuster stores. That shows you what our aspirations were. Yeah. But you've got to scale your aspirations to your capacity and to your ability. So there's a, there's a, you're right. There's, there's a lot of discouragement. There's a lot of times where you go, it's not working. And unfortunately, I mean, people always say, how do I know when to give up? And that's not usually something an entrepreneur thinks about or has to deal. Yeah. Thinks about, or they think about it, but they don't have, that's not really a real question. Right. Because 98% of the time they're denied the opportunity. They run out of money. Right. The, the, the board pulls the plug. They decide it's, at this point they can see very clearly the market they thought was a certain size is not the same size. It's too small. That there's right. no, nothing beyond this horizon. And we've gotten to this place good enough. That's the, what the smart entrepreneur does. Um, and going through this though, you know, you brought up an interesting point, funding, right? There's a lot of talk that, you know, when you're, I know you're the first CEO of Netflix, like you don't pay yourself for the first how many years because you're pumping, pumping all money back into the business. You got to get funding. You still have to pay employees that are probably working under you. Like, how does that work, right? I mean, when did you start paying yourself? When did funding just come in just like that? Did you ever get a point where you're like, man, we're going to run out of money if we don't do something quick? Well, there's a whole lot of questions uh, packed into that one, into right. one question. So to start, I paid myself from the very beginning. Okay. Um, I was putting in my time and uh, that's way more valuable than the money. And I had a family, you know, and I had kids in school and I had a mortgage on my house and I had car payments. So, you know, it wasn't like I was going to starve on it. And, and it was different. I was 38 years old. Okay. So this is not me in my garage, uh, you know, crazy <laughs> idea that I'm right. going to myself. But that was then. It's, it is different now. You know, I mentioned before how hard it was to launch Netflix at the time. That if you had this idea, the, the, the distance between the idea and the validation, just even testing the idea, was six months and a million dollars. So that couldn't have been done without funding. Right. Uh, but now, because you do have Squarespace, you can get an instance going or Shopify, and you do have PayPal, and you do have all the analytic tools, and you have all the servers, and everything's in the cloud, you could launch Netflix in a weekend, you know, for nothing, for, you know, for $9.95 a month. <laughs> and so because of that, the distance between the idea and the validation is almost instantaneous. Right. And so... By the you at for in my day, you had to ask for money before anything could be proven, and a lot of it was imagine if you will, and there was a slideshow. Not now, now you're expected to validate it on your own, right? So that's the point 
where you're starving. That's the point where you're not paying yourself. That's the point where you're keeping your day job. You're right. still going to school and you're doing it on the side or on weekends, trying to validate your idea so that when you finally do go, if you get to the point, decide it makes sense to ask for professional money or even ask for friends and family money, you're not saying, imagine, if you will. You're saying, I've been doing this hacked together validation experiment for the last six months. Here's what I've learned. Here's my acquisition cost. Here's my retention. Here's my churn. Here's my uh, you know, cost to acquire a customer. You have all that stuff dialed, and now you're just raising money to build it out, not right. to demonstrate it's a good idea. But right. Netflix, we, Netflix was different. You know, Reed and I were both adults. I was 38. He was 36. Uh, we both had – Netflix is my sixth company. So I had a track record of demonstrating I wasn't just bullshitting people. Right. Uh, and Reed, of course, had just come off the IPO of the company he had founded, which was Puratria. So for us, raising money was not that hard at the beginning. Right. The company, the most recent company I did, which is Looker Data, the, myself and Lloyd Tab, um, we were now in our you know, mid to late 50s when we did that. And we decided, yeah, we'd like to raise some money just to be able to get up a running start at this. And even better, we had tons of people who were begging us you know, to take their money, which allowed us to really dictate the terms. But right. that's because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you're you, I'm, I'm me. Yeah. <laughs> I've got, I was going to say, I've got gray hair. I got no hair. And, it, it, and it's me. It, and there's a success factor. Right. But what it says is for you, and I'm speaking to, you know, not you, you, everyone out there, is <laughs> if you are sitting there going, I can't do this because I can't raise money, well, then shame on you. Right. Um, that's, that's the sign of uh, an entrepreneurial loser. What you have to go is you don't need the money. Validate, figure, if you're, are you clever and smart? Of course you are. So figure out a way to validate your idea for nothing. Right. Figure out how to validation hack this thing. And I can give you a million examples of people who do that so that when it goes time to raise the money, you're not saying, oh, it's going to be great. You can go, I can show you what the metrics look like. I can show you why what I believe to be true is true. Yeah. You've done that for nothing. And that is, like these, one more thing. You got me all wound up here. Okay. <laughs> so these days, the people who are the great entrepreneurs are not the ones with the great ideas. They're the people who are clever enough to figure out how to validate ideas quickly and cheaply and easily because right. it allows them to cycle through lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of ideas. That's the skill I look for. And, and I think too, you know, today it's made it easier to validate ideas. You see a lot of uh, SaaS companies giving away services for free, right? Freemium version, free for 14 days. So you can validate the idea right there. How many people are actually staying on after 14 days? I even think even more so social media, you have access to the world, right? And just simply asking for feedback on something, just like you said, for, for people who have an idea and say they can't validate it, it's like, how are you not validating it? You have free well, access to all this stuff. So let me, let me tell you about the validation hacking thing for a second. And, and I talk about all this stuff in the book, by the way. So right. if someone wants the long form version, you know, that'll never work. Uh, my son, I was telling before how I encourage university students, if they want to be entrepreneurs, they've got to come out, get an get a, uh, internship. So when he, and he did that, loved it. When he came back, graduated, wanted to be an entrepreneur. So he began working on ideas. And what he, he would do is he'd get a great idea, and then he'd figure out 
how can I validate this for nothing? Right. And so for once, what he would do, for example, is take an idea and then he would build a fake website for it. And it would look just like the website, which would exist. Were this a real company with real products? And it would even say things like, you know, congratulations, our 10,000th customer and right. you know, in business since 2016 or whatever they needed to say to make it look real. Because he could do that in two days, right. build this website. And then he'd go on to, on to uh, you know, groups on the internet and spread the word about, has anyone heard about this cool company that does so-and-so? And drive traffic to it, again, for nothing. Right. And then he would learn the ultimate thing, which is, did anyone care? Because when they clicked on the product, they'd get to the pricing page, they'd pick a price, they'd go to order. And at that point, he had learned what he needed to learn. But then it would come back and say, I'm sorry, due to overwhelming demand, uh, we're temporarily out of stock. We'll leave your email address, we'll contact you when we're back in stock. In other words, he couldn't take an order. He had no product, he had no warehouse, he had no fulfillment, he had no money. But he was learning that people did want this. He could price test. He could copy test. He could even do some experiments with keywords to find out which markets may want to use this or not. And all he was doing was building a flat website. But you can do that. That's for an e-commerce company. Right. That approach can be used anytime to validate the idea for nothing. Yeah. I can, I can, again, if we had more time, I could give you... 60 examples of young entrepreneurs doing, having an idea and figuring out this way to test it without actually doing it. That's an interesting book idea, Mark. I would read it. I would read it. Good. That's, once, once I get over the, past the hangover of having written this last one, I'll, uh, yeah. I'll put that in the queue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's very interesting. And, and that's a great example uh, from someone like you to validate something for free. Right. And for people are saying, no, I can't do that. You're thinking, I just gave you an example and it's close to you. It's your son. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely think entrepreneurship is very much alive today in terms of people are always coming up with ideas. Do you think it's more alive today than it was back then because it's easier because it's oh, ab have access? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's easier in a whole bunch of ways. Right. I mean, for one, one I've talked about is that the, the, you know, the technology stack is exactly. so accessible. Exactly. Everything you want is in the cloud. Everything you want has been put as a, as a service. So you can just dial it up and start. You don't exactly. need to worry about any of those things. The other thing that's happened, though, is access to money is dramatically easier. There's now funds that do seed stage funding. That's remarkable. Every university has an entrepreneurial club which has money available. Mm -hmm. Every town and city has a fund available. So once you have demonstrated your idea some validity, the money is a fairly trivial um, piece of it. The internet has democratized location. Now, and, and as COVID has demonstrated, you can actually be tremendously effective by being distant. Right. So now you don't need to like pack it up and move to silicon valley or to austin or to boston or to new york you can even do it in a place like nashville exactly is it nashville or memphis you're in nashville nashville yeah you can do it any place and that just me in the united states you can be in south america you can be in asia you can be in europe little cities big towns you can do it any place so it's remarkable now um which is why i think we're seeing an explosion of uh, entrepreneurship yes yeah. you can now if you have the idea 
You don't need to be 38 years old with a track record of five previous companies and the ability to raise money. You can just do it where you are. Right. Do you, do you think given the current circumstances with COVID, uh, when you were the CEO, you think it'd be hard to be the CEO today, right? With people mostly remote and having to do meetings all through Zoom or whatever you use, having to manage people through Zoom, you think that'd be a little bit tougher? No, I mean, maybe, but not. The thing is, the people who get st- stuck are companies who have gotten to the point where they're set in their ways. Right. In other words, where they've had some success and they've got an operational model and they know exactly how it works, and they've spent all this time and hired all these specialists to get every little bit of friction out of the model and make it more and more efficient, and that's the only way they know how to do things. Right. And all of a sudden, COVID turns the world upside down, and they're really screwed. The, pe- the companies who have stayed nimble, who will go, no, uh, I'm used to changing direction every three days. <laughs> So, and my people are used to changing the way they work every three days. Right. And yeah, half my team is scattered all over the place anyway. So right. yeah, you, you, you have to look around and go, whoa, what was, but you get your balance pretty quickly. Yeah. So I think fortunately, since I'm a startup guy, um, I'm pretty suited to that. In fact, most of the, I do a lot of work right now in this COVID world where I'm working with larger companies, trying to help them be a little bit more nimble uh, in their response to changing circumstances. Right. But you find very quickly that the ones that are doing really well are the ones who have never lost that ability. Um, to adapt to, the, to adapt to the different circumstances. Yeah. I used to work at UBS and uh, my brother works there right now and they're working remotely, obviously, but they have no plans to go back to the office. They're yeah. just like, we might as well just stay remote because productivity has actually shot up. People are working more. People don't have the commute anymore. So they're working extra hours. So I definitely think we're going to see a change. And I definitely think, just like you said, entrepreneurism is, I think, going to increase even more, right? People are going to say, hey, I don't have to be on the other side of the world to be a successful entrepreneur. I can stay right here in Nashville or Georgia, you know, states that aren't known for entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurs entrepreneurs are ones who, I mean, so much of uh, what drives innovation is change. Exactly. And all of a sudden, you have the world changing. It's creating huge opportunities. Even the one you just mentioned, all of a sudden people aren't going into an office right? and they're all working from home. What does that mean? And I don't just mean in things like Zoom. What about the real estate? What about the yeah, transportation? Exactly. What about the fact that Google and Facebook used to feed everybody? What about all the companies that used to service the people who fed the people? What, I mean, it's infinite. And that's just one change. But we're, seeing, we're going to see society do a fairly major shift as a result of this. And that's opportunity for all of us entrepreneurs. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like too, uh, you probably know the actual stat, but Netflix is probably has more users now as a result oh. of COVID, right? Yes, they, they do. They have said, we think what's happening is we're pulling people forward rather mm-hmm. than this being some net uh, permanent one-time addition. Right. But what the people who, it certainly is helping people who may have been reticent about cutting the cord uh, or now saying, okay, I'm all in because now I'm spending all my time in the house. So it's certainly been good for streaming services. Yeah. Uh, It's been really good for e-commerce. Oh yeah. One of the companies that I work with, been working with for a long time is Chubby's Shorts. Oh. Um, (laughs) And so they were disrupted because they not only 
are direct to consumer primarily, but they also had stores and they also had a wholesale business and both stores and wholesale pretty much went away. But their core culture is e-commerce. And so they didn't miss a beat. They were in a phenomenal position to take advantage of the fact that A, everyone was uh, um, you know, shopping from home right. and they are, they've had six years to perfect shopping from home, but also being a shorts company, you know, all of a sudden, I mean, let's see if I can show you. You wearing your chubbies? Here's my shorts, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, so all of a sudden everyone is going, wow, I, I can wear shorts all the time. Right. So, you know, you, you, entrepreneurs can take advantage of new situations, whether you're a new company or whether you're an existing company. Yeah. And I think the biggest uh, indication of that too, I mean, if, if we talk about Jeff Bezos, his net worth has jumped quite a bit during the pandemic and Amazon's essentially an e-commerce company. Right. So I think that's just true. I mean, e-commerce is is still shooting through the roof and I believe it's going to continue trending upward. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's it's the things like like Amazon, you know, they're, it's two things. It's a combination of everyone needing to shop online and they're really good at it, but it's also that the smaller companies that competed with them can't are being, are are failing. Right. So uh, there's a consolidation going on. It's really a, Pretty dramatically interesting time. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, can I ask you a, a personal question? Sure. Is there a reason The Office is coming off of Netflix next January? Of course. That's not a personal I I, It's not a personal question because I assure you, I had nothing to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> it it's just a legacy of the way that uh, rights are administered right. for, um, for content, which yeah. is that they're part. They're, they're cut up. Yeah. In other words, when, a, when, it, when something comes out, they may sell the digital rights to one place. They may sell the TV rights to another. They sell the streaming rights to a third person. It's different in the UK than it is in the United States. And so you end up with this mismatch, mismatch of where things are when. Right. Not to mention that you know, Netflix launched their streaming service in 2007. And here we are 13 years later. And all of a sudden, the rest of the world is going, wow, I guess you know, we should stream that TV is yeah. what the future. And so of course, all of a sudden now you have Disney or Peacock, you have Hulu, yeah. you have all the companies coming in, you know, HBO max all of a sudden. And so all of them are scrambling to get their content back. Right. Right. And, and I mean, to be completely honest with you, we have Netflix, we have Hulu and we have Amazon prime video and Netflix is always better in my opinion, uh, Hulu's <laughs> content seems to be limited. Amazon Prime seems to be the quality is just not there. But Netflix is always coming out with new stuff, especially the originals. I think the originals is, in my opinion, what keeps me interested in Netflix because it seems every week a new TV show or movie is coming out. Well, that is the strategy. And, and certainly the fact that we've been doing it for, you know, at least the um, – streaming for 13 years right netflix has a pretty good head start oh yeah we have 200 almost 200 million subscribers so it's a it's a virtuous circle it's a virtuous circle that was uh, weird which means that the the, yeah that's my it's it's the that's a light automatically going on i gotta remember that future (laughs) podcast um uh, so meaning we have 200 million subscribers so we can afford a tremendous amount of content. I mean, our right. budget, you know, excess of $10 billion a year for original content. Right. Whereas you look at any of the other streamers and they're 10% of that, 5%, yeah. 20% of that. It's just, and 
content, as you can imagine, has a long lead time. Right. Uh, and so you launch like, uh, um, who is it? Uh, was it with the morning show? Apple. You know, they, 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 there is no content. They have no library. Yeah. So they've got to start. And it takes a long time to begin yeah. building up a library of content. And I imagine too, there's probably a lot of legal work involved, right? Just getting the rights to all these TV shows. And it's probably a headache, I would assume. Yeah, that's not that bad. I mean, that you just have people to help people to help with that. And it's complicated. It's fundamentally money. Right. Um, it's expertise. And it's what your focus is. You know, for Netflix, that is the only thing they do. Right. As opposed to, you know, Apple, which has, you know, which has doing cell phones and hardware. Um, or look at um, Amazon, which is doing, you know, cloud services and, and Disney theme parks. So focusing on a single thing means you can get that thing pretty right. As right. opposed to other companies who are trying to do multiple things at the same time. Right. Do you, do you think Netflix will ever branch out into something different other than streaming? extremely unlikely i'd say no okay yeah i would see the same thing because you know you hear it a lot why be a jack of all trades and a master of none right and some of these bigger companies right i mean apple amazon they're masters in their own right but netflix really nailing down the streaming service i don't think anybody's going to catch up ever yeah, that's been part of their ethos from the very beginning you know, right and, and again i talk about that in the book too is these decisions about what not to do is right. in some ways harder than decisions about what to do. Right. And every time we'd have a meeting about planning a new feature, there was always a discussion about, well, what, what are we going to cut? What are we going to do to make sure we are focused on the important thing? And that's never gone away. And, and Netflix, you know, back then, we had a thing, we called it the Canada principle. Uh, because everybody would say, this is back in the beginning, but you should go into Canada. You know, it's great. You know, it's easy. It's right over the border and you will get a 10% bump just by being in the Canadian market. Right. And you go, ah, I'm not sure that's so easy after all. You know, first of all, they have a different currency. Right. And worse, it's called a dollar, which is going to be confusing. <laughs> and they speak a different language in parts of Canada. Right. And it's legally mandated that in that part of Canada, you use that language. I mean, the rights are somewhat different. And you quickly realize that if you take all the effort that it would take to get that 10% bump, if you applied that to your core business, you'd get a way bigger multiplier than 10%. Exactly. exactly. And that's never really stopped. I mean, Netflix, what I say, it's 200, almost 200 million subscribers. But, you know, YouTube is, you know, 2 billion. Uh, so there's a huge unaddressed market still. Absolutely. And so... Any time, any effort they spend going into some other business is focused that they're not spending on how do we go from 200 million up to 2 billion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's very interesting. And, and Mark, we've talked about a lot here. I really want to be conscious of your time. So we can go ahead and start concluding. Um, and we can have a round two, you know, one day in the future. <laughs> so I always, you know, a lot of podcasts will end asking for a piece of advice. I think it's a very cliche question because you can probably find advice from you in your book, videos, throughout this podcast, wherever. But the question I like to end on is, why do you love what you do so much? And why is it equally as important for all entrepreneurs to also love what they do? You know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm 62. 
but I was extremely lucky. And then I figured out pretty early in my life, two critical things. I figured out what I'm good at and I figured out what I like to do. And I was lucky that those were both the same thing. And it was early stage company stuff. It was starting companies. Um, I have a natural knack for some of the things that are required for the focus, you know, for the triage. Um, But I love it. You know, I alluded earlier to how exciting it is to come into work and sit around the table with really smart people and solve these really interesting problems. And when you have something that you get to do that you enjoy and you're good at, that is success. And that is the ultimate thing you strive for. And as as a stupid old expression, you know, but if you like what you do every day, then it's not really work. Exactly. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I still, I, 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 I didn't, I stopped needing to do this for a living a long time ago. Um, but I, I love this. It's just right. so exciting. And if, if you can do, find a job that you're that excited about, you're a lucky man indeed. Absolutely. Yes, guys, definitely listen to Mark's advice. I mean, just love what you do, right? And, and I think people, if they chase, a business venture, if they really want to be an entrepreneur about something that they love rather than money, I feel like you find more, more success and more happiness there. I agree. Absolutely. Well, Mark, I do appreciate your time. Uh, where can my audience find you on social media? Well, the best starting place actually is a website. If you remember okay. those things called websites, which is <laughs> markrandolph.com, all one word, M-A-R-C-R-E-N-D-O-L-P-H. But you can also find me on Twitter at MB Randolph, on Instagram at That Will Never Work, and all the other associated uh, social media out there. But please do join me. And if you want the long form, then the book. If you just want the short ones, then Instagram and Twitter are perfect places for me to dispense my wisdom. Awesome. Yeah, guys, reach out to Mark. Let him know what you thought about the episode. And Mark, please. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. This was fun, uh, fun being with you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Entrepreneurism Podcast. We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 a.m. Central Time. We would greatly appreciate if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. I'm Brady Morgan, your host. We'll see you next time.